Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is candidate for city council in Springfield, Oregon, Ward 3, Corey Rodley. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is really cool. Uh, We have started crossing paths now that I've gotten involved in the uh, Democratic Party as a precinct committee person. I still haven't been making phone calls yet. Uh, I kind of want to wait. One of my duties for that is to call registered Democrats to make sure that they they are uh, pledging to vote. It's such a crucial election and it just gets even more crucial as the days go by. Uh, It's really cool and it's an honor for you to do this. Uh, You know, you're running for city council, as I mentioned before. I'm going to try and have Johannes uh, Tadeo, who is your opponent, uh, I'm going to try to interview him tomorrow. So hopefully I'll get that out as well. And so, you know, I think it's really important for everybody to hear from everybody. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what brought you to Springfield and what made you want to run for city council? Oh, I haven't gotten to answer that question in a while since I've been, I've been in this campaign now since June of last year. So I haven't, I, people haven't been asking me that as much. So it's kind of, it's kind of fun. So um, we bought our house in Springfield about, it's about four years ago. Um, we moved from Eugene, like many of us have. We were actually looking intentionally to move, and um, we had lived in the, the Whitaker neighborhood of Eugene, and we wanted, we were downsizing because our kids are all grown, and we wanted a larger lot with an affordable little house on it, and because we're not getting any younger. So Springfield, we just kept looking and, sp- and we started out and looking all over and we just get more and more Springfield. So, um, so we just, and we fell madly, madly in love as we were looking. And so we've been really happy with coming, moving to Springfield. And I had worked, um, cause I've been in the area for a really long time. I grew up in Roseburg, came up here to go to school. I mean, I've been here for a long time and have done a lot of work with folks in Springfield and already had already been sort of involved and plugged in with stuff countywide. So it really was nice to be able to dig in deeper once we got here. So what, what <laughs> I am not one of those people who always dreamt of running for public office, but I love doing service and I've been involved in nonprofit. And when we came to Springfield, I wanted to, I wanted to really uh, get to know the ins and outs as quickly and deeply as possible. So I joined the budget committee for the city of Springfield. And it was through that that when I learned learning more about what's going on with the challenges now or what was now uh, three years ago. Um, and then when, when Councillor Moore said that she wasn't going to run again, and it was like, well, who's who's going to run for this seat? And I was like, well, I feel like I could I could do that. Nobody else was running at the time, and I was like, I feel like I'm you know could learn a lot, and it'll be interesting to do. And and I'm you know an empty nester, so I have all this time. But the world has changed quite a bit. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything like it did, but that's what that's kind of how it started. It was kind of organic. So for people that are unaware, uh, I think that it's, there's a lot of new active voters. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that would vote, but maybe wouldn't do as much down ballot stuff. You know, they'd vote for president, maybe only in a general election. Uh, if, so you're ward three. So when you decide that you want to run, it's only open to you in the area in your neighborhood. Is that correct? For right. what, what you would be running for. 
So you have to, but here's what's interesting about Springfield is that you have to live in the ward and Ward 3 kind of runs right up the middle of Springfield. So I live in kind of the Mohawk area near the Mackenzie Willow Hospital. So Ward 3 kind of runs right up the middle. Um, so you run to represent your ward, but everybody in the city votes for all yeah. the councillors and the mayor. Yeah. yeah, that was my next question because I know that I live in uh, the Thurston district. I'm people make it clear it's not thurston i i live on in the 50s i'm not going to say the exact street but but uh you know so i noticed on my ballot in the midterm in the primary that uh you know i was voting for all of them which i think is really good that everybody in town gets to pick the city council regardless if it's their neighborhood because it it's really important i mean one of the major headline making uh stories right now is that city council will be picking the next mayor and so i don't know when that's happening i think it's very soon and so that's pretty huge you know you know and we did a podcast on that with chris wig and chris McAllister. chris McAllister was one of your opponents in the uh primary uh so city council is a nonpartisan seat uh and but you know it's pretty clear people's uh, leanings. They're pretty open about that. You know, uh, you and Johannes are both registered Democrats. Mm-hmm. And then Chris McAllister ran as an unaffiliated voter. And then explain to us how it works with the runoff. So the top two, you can explain that. Yeah. So um, in the way it works is that in the primary, so we were on the ballot in the primary. And in order to win just outright in the primary, you have to get 50% of the votes that are cast plus one, basically. So you have the majority of them. That's really challenging to get when you've got an open seat and you've got three candidates running. So um, in the primary, I came in first on that and then Johannes was second. He was about five points behind me in that. And then Chris was third. So that's why it ends up being the top two then move forward to the runoff in November. So you don't have to win in in November by that 50% plus one. It's like that's every single vote counts. So I mean, you can win by one vote. So it's but that's, it's so that and I actually and I've had people that were that have been crabby about that. But I think I'm always for the most democratic process as possible so if you have something where just the the head the the lead person gets the election or gets wins and you've got that many people i mean especially if you see you see a race like the primary for the mayor's race in eugene where you've got candidates you could potentially somebody could get elected with like 30 percent 29 percent of the votes and that just doesn't feel like to me that doesn't feel like you have enough of a like mandate or enough people that have voted so even though it's kind of it's you know you get to keep campaigning but it's still it pushes that i think towards a more democratic process when there's a runoff sure i agree and you know eugene we're not going to get too sidetracked talking about it but man there was that uh there was a solidarity platform, a bunch of candidates that were trying to at least make sure that the incumbent didn't get the 51 or the 50% plus one. And it was interesting to watch, uh, you know, because there was a lot of candidates and then now there's going to be one name on the ballot. And then there's the writing candidate, Isaiah Wagner, who's making a lot of news. I've had him on the podcast and I'm going to have him back on the podcast. It's to talk about, you know, what made him decide to go for it with a write-in campaign. Cause I mean, that is a, that is a big mountain to climb a write-in thing, but I've talked to quite a few people that I was shocked that they said, yep, they will be for sure voting for him. And I think a lot of people are frustrated, but Eugene is a different issue. I've been covering a lot of Springfield politics lately because that's where I live. And I think it's cool because, you know, my show and the Chronicle, I've been getting a lot of buzz hearing about the, the newspaper, the Chronicle there, there's the, there's only a few people covering Springfield. So it's something that I'm going to do more of. And the accessibility, like people like yourself being able to, uh, you know, agree to do this. It's cool because that's showing that people in Springfield actually care about their, their citizens. It's not about themselves. This, this campaign that you have ran the three of you running, I, I personally think that it would be hard to go wrong. You know, it's really a good field. I think Chris McAllister's got a bright future. I don't know Johannes very well, but I'm going to get to know him, like I said, tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, when I looked at the names and I looked into some of your backgrounds, I was impressed that we really couldn't go wrong in that one. So 
I'm going to go over some of the main key kind of bullet points from your website, uh, which is coreyrodley.com. That will be in the show notes of anywhere that you're listening or watching this podcast. So definitely check that out if you, if you want to donate to the campaign or whatever, find more information. So we're going to go through them. I'm going to say what they are and then we'll go one by one. So the, the four major things that you had put listed on your website that are issues that are important to you are livable neighborhoods and strong communities. That's one. Two is affordable housing and probably in no particular order, but affordable housing. Three is infrastructure and four is small businesses and family wage. So let's start with uh, livable neighborhoods and strong communities. What would that mean to you? What would that look like? And how do you see yourself being able to uh, get us in that direction? So that was one of the things that we fell in love with in Springfield um, is that we, we really do have these great neighborhoods and we have these wide streets and we have the, the potential to really have these fabulous kind of walkable neighborhoods like what we've done in downtown. And so, but there hasn't been a lot of um, push out through the rest of the city yet. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a plan to, it's just that that hasn't happened yet. And I think that as I was going door to door and talking with people, the kind of things that people are concerned about that make a neighborhood livable is, is it safe for my kids to walk to school? Is it safe to ride a bicycle? Can we get where we need to, to go? Do we have nearby parks? And is that, are those safe and and accessible. So those kind of things, the combination of like having what you need in terms of the amenities around you and being able to get where you need to get, feeling like you've got, you know, the neighborhood is healthy and it's it's safe and you you have what you need. I mean, that really contributes to the, the idea of these livable neighborhoods um, and people can afford to live there. Right. A big so now what is city council's um not just responsibility, but what can city council do to kind of work towards that? So there's, I think of, um, and this comes from being on the budget committee, because I'm on the budget committee for the city and also for the Springfield Utility Board. So how we prioritize and spend our money is a big piece of how the sort of government oversight can contribute to that. So city council in terms of what we prioritize. A great example of that is the kind of conversations and debate and controversy going on around the Glenwood area. It's, you know, that there's, there's a strong push by some to really invest in the kind of business sector piece or to get some large anchor project that's going to be in Glenwood. But as I was going door to door, a lot of folks, a lot of people who live in that area want it to be more of one of those kind of livable neighborhoods where there's how there's affordable housing and people can get to where they need to go. And so those kind of the decisions that are made around the, the overall gov, the city government around um, uh, what the zoning codes are and how are we going to invest in these neighborhoods? What kind of partnerships and ways are we going to leverage the land with developers? Those are decisions that do get made at the, you know, partly at the city council level. I realize that also um, often when we're running for office, I was thinking about this this, this, this morning, um, we talk about it as if all the decisions are made by the elected officials. Right. And when we get crabby, we're like, it's all the elected officials fault and the folks who work for the city feel that crabbiness and they're like, but wait, we're doing a really good job. Sure. Part of what the city council does is hires and oversees the city manager who is working with those departments and those people directly in the city to help sort of drive that vision and do the everyday work of public works and all of that stuff that we see. Right. Now leadership uh, Mark Molina and I talked a lot about leadership in a, in a recent episode. Leadership is one of the key elements of that is delegation. <laughs> and at the federal level, that is non-existent. So on, this, on the local level, it is existent. I think it's, it's successful in Springfield. And that's why it's cool that you're not running against someone that's been, an, it's an open seat. So you're not, you don't have to challenge when people are like, well, what about the things that have been working? And you're like, well, I'm going to try to continue that. You know, that's mm -hmm. the goal. Uh, and I think it's bipartisan. There's been a lot of people, because I think, I don't know, the not, you probably would know the statistics, but, uh, you know, they talk about Oregon being a blue state, Springfield being more red, but I think it's pretty split in Springfield. I mean, I think you, you got a lot of people right in the middle. 
It is, and I, there are there are more registered Democratic voters in Springfield. Um, however, and I think it's. Um, I always feel like I'm like these are my Democrats um, because I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Roseburg and I grew up in this this working class logging family, and so I think that there's a there's a lot of working class um, Democrats in Springfield. So it feel it feels a lot less of like all to this side or all to that side, and more that it's like um, this is kind of this just hardworking every day. Sure. That's kind of the vibe I got from your website too. It's clear that you came up in a conservative, uh, in my opinion, it's clear that you came up in a conservative setting, more conservative setting, because the way that you worded things left nobody out of the equation. That was the way that I read it. That's the way that, and anyone, I encourage everyone, I'm going to say this a few times on this episode, go to the website, coreyrodley.com, K-O-R-I-R-O-D-L-E-Y.com. Because you can see what I'm talking about. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of progressive candidates and I, I, that's such a loosely used term because that, all that really me- should mean is progress, <laughs> is building something. But I, I actually was impressed by seeing that, that it was kind of a, anybody could read it and it might not be so clear where your biases lie, at least from your website, which I think is really good. So we've got a lot to cover. So let's go ahead and move on to the next one, affordable housing. Now this is going to be really important. Yeah. Because I live in Springfield and I've watched, I was fortunate enough to be able to buy a house or be buying a home and I didn't have the cash. I don't know who does. No, no, but uh, so I've seen the value go up, which is great as a homeowner. And I've also seen since I have stepsons that are 18 to 19 years old, the cost of rent is going up just like anything. And I think that Eugene and Springfield have had kind of a shift where I grew up in Springfield. I was, I've lived here since I was 11 and I've moved back and forth between the towns, but I've, I've stayed close with all my friends that have basically been here their whole life. And it used to have a bad reputation, Springfield, and there's still some pockets that need a lot of work, and I'm sure you'll, you'll help with that. But now I feel like the costs are going to, the demand is going to be more in Springfield. People are going to be wanting to kind of get away from some of the issues with Eugene for whatever reason. You know, what can be done at the city council level to maintain affordable housing? This is a great question. And I think there are a lot of things that can be done and there are challenges. (laughs) One of the challenges is that we just haven't over time kept up with investing in the building and the inventory and kind of making that uh, available and making that a priority. And that's what's happening everywhere is that we were building sort of higher end housing and we didn't necessarily, and by we, I mean the collective we, we didn't necessarily say, oh, we're going to prioritize affordable housing and how do we keep things affordable? And it's interesting because um, when you're talking about all of those priorities that I had on my website, those are the same priorities that I had last June. Sure. When, when all of the, between the pandemic and now with the wildfires, the things that have happened, it's, it hasn't even dawned on me that we would need to change those priorities because what's happened is it's just become increasingly, increasingly clear that those are going to be the big challenges now and those are the big challenges moving forward. So the city of Springfield has done some great things around um, ADUs, which are auxiliary, auxiliary dwelling units, which is so that you can build a little... Um, cottage or you know convert a garage or whatever they've done some really progressive work in terms of that in terms of wanting to encourage that which i think is great because we do tend to have um some pretty large lots where that's possible that's one of the things that we've talked about with our lot is like if we didn't love to garden so much it would be really easy to put a little she shed or something back there that would be great so the city of springfield has been pretty forward on that in terms of um one saying yes we're going to let this happen and two at the council level and with the city planners saying how do we eliminate some of the fees how do we try to make that a little more accessible for people to build but i do have friends that still find that to be a little bit prohibitive in terms of how much it costs to actually do that and some of that has to do with building stuff which nobody likes to talk about it's like it's required to build a new building now right so i think that's one of the things that gets in the way of how expensive it can be to build affordable housing. So it's going to take some really 
um, some really determined and focused work. And that's, I think that's part of what the challenges have been. There, we have done some um, encouraging of like wraparound supportive housing because there was some money that came out of the state of Oregon to support that. So we we're able to like partner and work with you know, what is now called housing now, or it used to be Hacksaw, but um, so we've been able to work with that to build supportive housing, but for just the, the folks who want like a, just a sweet little two or three bedroom beginner house, we just don't have enough of that. And so right. we're going to just really get creative and focus on it. Now, one of the things that I say is we've done it because we live in one of those post-World War II built for mill workers, houses and neighborhoods, and it's a fabulous, sturdy little house. And so it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to say, get together as communities and as a region and say, we're going to build some of these neighborhoods of these affordable houses. And that also gives folks a chance to move into other housing and make more houses. So we just, right, exactly. More of it all. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I, I grew up in the Washburn district, sixth and G and we looked at some places around that neighborhood. And I think that's actually your district or your ward. It is. Uh, and so it is, a, it is a beautiful area. And my dad, who, you know, he's kind of old school conservative guy. And he had a lot of frustrations with, uh, like you were talking about, the permit process building. Because like, he wanted to add some stuff on the property. And just, I mean, he always would say, sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And, you know, he did everything by the book, though, because my dad is an honest man. He's a law-abiding person, and he did, but he was super frustrated. I think the only thing he didn't do is he, he would joke about it. He, we had a tree that was dying, and it wasn't dead yet, and he's like, I'm killing that thing. <laughs> and so, you know, but minor stuff, you know, but, but uh, so, so he, you know, it was interesting because I learned a lot from just his complaining about it, and that's like his favorite pastime is complaining about politics and so i got it from somewhere we just have different views but anyway so moving on infrastructure infrastructure would be you know roads maintaining the the paths the bike paths uh and transportation the bike paths just as a quick side note if anybody hasn't been to the thurston trail that is an amazing amazing thing which it's i'm I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'm pretty sure it's Willamette Lane that mm -hmm. runs that. And Willamette Lane is something I talk about a lot on the show. We are blessed to have the hybrid of parks and recreation being kind of private and then getting uh, money that the voters continuously support because they see that it's maintained, you know, and it's not just all government. It's, there's also a private entity with Willamette Lane that just does a phenomenal job. So tell me a little bit about infrastructure and, you know, what maintaining that would mean. So on like a city council level, and, and infrastructure is one of the things that also when I was able to go door to door, people were talking about a lot. And I've lumped exactly what you said, all of those things into infrastructure, because those things are, contribute to how people feel about how they can get around the town. Um, and I've learned over the years what some of the challenges are and why we sometimes have trouble with infrastructure is one we have to prioritize it's an it's an ever it's an ever-changing challenge because we're driving on these roads neighborhoods are changing things are happening so we're constantly having to 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 pay attention to making sure they're drivable and and seeing how traffic flow changes you know a, a big thing that because you've been here for a long time so you know when you put in like a Jerry's and a Walmart out on Olympic that changes the traffic flow and we are still we have yet to really deal with what's going on with the traffic that happens there at, at Mohawk and, uh, and Olympic. Right. So those are the kind of things that you start to think about. You're like, oh yeah, when I'm complaining because there aren't enough turning lanes or I'm stuck in traffic, it's because we haven't, we've, we've grown in some areas, but we haven't adjusted the traffic and the infrastructures to deal with that. One of the big things that's happening right now in Springfield is looking at Main Street all the way out past where you live out right. there and thinking about how to make that safer um, because again, that's an area that's grown up. We've we've allowed <laughs> um, all these businesses to build along there, and they all have their own driveways, and so people are coming in and out of that a lot. Right, that contributes to um, just just a lack of safety. Because if you're trying to ride your bike along there, and you've got to these all these driveways, all these access roads. So those are the kind of things that, are, that can sound super boring, but they all contribute to. Oh, yeah what infrastructure looks like. And those are all things that are sort of being talked about and are, those decisions are being made at the city level. 
Um, so that's part, that's part of that infrastructure. And also understanding that um, we, we sometimes have to, sometimes there's a little bit of, um, it's not really luck, but there's a little bit of like what money is coming from where and what kind of possibilities are tacked onto this legislation or that that we can get that money in to use for whatever. Right. Some of it is looking at new projects because sometimes when you, you do a project like EMX or you do some sort of a, a new infrastructure project, then you can build in infrastructure around that as you go. It's really tough to find um, financial support to get money for maintaining. So that's often absorbed by the general fund. So all of those, but those are, those are big decisions that need to be made. And we need to, as Springfield is growing and as people are moving and neighborhoods are evolving, that we have to really be paying attention to that. And that's something that people are really concerned about. Sure. And I think that your experience in the budget committee really comes into play with that because you know the challenges, the things that work and that don't work and just the overall balancing of, of budget. So that's the thing with local government that I think is good. It's that we do have a, we do have to balance the budget. You know, it's unlike the federal government, which they can just write blank checks and it's disgusting. But, uh, you know, and, and I, I say this a lot too, city council is a volunteer position. I mean, people don't understand this, that, that, that you're really serving your community because it's a small stipend that's for parking and maybe a phone bill or whatever, 85 bucks a month or something like that. It's, re it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess the charter would have to rewrite it for people to get paid. But I think it's cool that you had mentioned about city employees and the work that they do. And then it's, yes, as city council and for mayor and whatnot, there's a figurehead. Uh, that's kind of a, a slur. <laughs> no, but like there's a figurehead kind of thing going on, or at least the face of it, you know, but yeah. it's behind the scenes that really, it's a group effort and it's all about delegation and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's good. Now, this and is a big, I, go ahead. Uh, I, I just wanted to add just a little tiny piece on sure. that. Yeah. Um, because I'm not, like I said, I'm not somebody who was like, I always want to run for office. I really don't think of myself as being like a politician. And some of some of the process of it is like, I don't have a whole lot of time or patience for. And so when I start to be like, oh, this feels ewey, I just, what keeps me focused is that I love the folks who work for the city of Springfield and have been able to work with so many of them in so many different ways. And so I, and I realized that when we're talking on the campaign trail and we're talking about Springfield needs to do better here and Springfield needs to be better, better there, that I imagine that those folks who work there are hearing that and thinking that we're being critical of them when we're really, we're really kind of, you know, talking the political talk and saying like, oh, we think decisions need to be like this. Whereas, you know, our public works is amazing and our planning folks and when you talk about the budget it's like my my service on the budget committee is absolutely interwoven with our fantastic um, finance team and accountants that are there doing all of the actual number crunching sure. any chance I get to say yeah when we're saying Springfield do better I don't necessarily feel that way about the staff because <laughs> I love so many of them and feel so supported and they're there when I call so Sure. And I think it's, it's good to say that it's not necessarily that they need to do better. It's that they need to be given the tools, you know, right. that they need to be given the tools that I'm sure that when you are campaigning, one of the things you do is you go talk to them and you hear what they have to say. Cause not only are they, if they live and work in Springfield and work for the city, then they are some of the people that actually, they're the ones that you, you know, you'll get some input about like, well, this is what we need. This is what we need to be more effective, you know? So I get what you're saying. I think that's good that you can touch on that, that, you know, it's it, a lot of times it seems like that. It's like, that's the whole thing I felt about make America great. It's like, what's wrong with, you know I mean? It was a, it was a doom and gloom kind of thing. And there's a lot of issues in this country, but sometimes we forget to focus on the things that we're doing well and folk and forget to focus on the unity or at least the common pride and Springfield. That's the one thing that's changed in the last 20 years is that there is a sense of pride mm -hmm. in the community across the board from people with different belief systems. And I think that's good. And maybe, you know, we've seen with some of the protests before it got real ugly, it was getting really good. People were starting to listen to each other. And then, and so I don't know, and that's a whole mm -hmm. different issue. And I do want to get to that, but we'll get to that in a little bit. There's one more issue from your website that we need to address. And then that is a big one. Uh, small businesses, how we can help small businesses, which I think the downtown 
Main Street section uh, has shown that they're very, the Springfield, you know, city council and Springfield city government is really believing in small businesses. You've got small barber shops, you got, you know, the public house, these local small businesses, brew pubs, that's kind of cool. And they've done it in a way that you can still have a drink, but you don't have to have the grittiness that used to be there. I don't know if you remember, it was bad. I do. Club 420. I got a funny story and this is shocking. I'm going to warn you. But me and a friend of mine, we were joking around, completely joking, obviously, but we're like, you want to get some meth? And we're like, yeah. And of course we're not going to you know, do it. So we went into club 420 and we went, I, this is a true story. I went up to one of the guys sitting at the bar. I was like, where does a guy, I literally said it like this. I goes, where does a guy get, get some meth around here? Like I was totally joking. I was 22. And he goes, you're going to have to talk to spider. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally serious. No. Yeah. So I'm so glad that that's gone. And, you know, and I think it's, I, I don't know the, the establishment that's there now, but I'm just saying it was that easy. And we just yeah. laughed and giggled. We were young 22 year old kids. We're like, Oh my God, let's get out of here. But it was that easy, you know? And so they've cleaned things up, which is good. So small business and family wage. Now, first question, do you support a $15 minimum wage? I do. I do support a $15 minimum wage. And yeah. that's, a, that's a big one. And I think we're getting closer. And I think that we have inched towards it, which I think has been done well. I think, you know, there was some talk. I'm, I could be getting some of this wrong, but I know that Springfield and Eugene had a different scale than Portland. Like Portland, it was a higher cost of living. So they kind of slowly brought that up to that. But we do need to get everybody up to that, is my mm-hmm. opinion. Now, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, now, small businesses – what are some ways that we can continue? You kind of mentioned it um, just in building when we were talking about uh, affordable housing, about like how to keep permits and the prices for, for things down, you know, cause there's so, it's so expensive to build. Now for businesses, it's the same thing. If you're going to do a brand new business and you have to keep everything to code regulations, there's a lot of that. What can you do to help small businesses? You know, one of the things that I've always thought would be a good idea is for new businesses, for first-time business owners. Now, this, you're, I know you work in, with United Way in, with equity. And for me, this is something that could create equity. Uh, and I, you, know, you could also talk about people of color, businesses of color. For the first couple of years, maybe having a tax break. You know, and people of color, but also people that are just anybody, first-time business owners. I think that there should be some form of tax break for the first couple of years at least will they get off the ground, even zero tax liability for the first 48 months or something. Not, not 48 months, but 24 months or something like that, you know, but what are some ideas you have? So those, that, that very way of thinking that you're talking about is what we do for these large businesses when we court exactly. or, or we have a large business that is doing some repairs or some investment and expansion and the, that, that is what the city can do is they can remove some barriers and they can put those put businesses on um, kind of give them a break from paying their taxes, not to use big fancy words, but just give them a break for a year or two and they get to move off of the property tax rolls and then come back on is the idea. We do that and I, I, we do that for large or businesses that we're courting and then sometimes those folks come for a while and then they move on and they never really get back on the tax rolls. But we don't do that for small businesses. And so I think those, those are the places where the city can and by city, this time I am talking about the city leadership can remove those barriers or create those 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 incentives so to make it easier for businesses and that can be a thing as we're coming out of this recession and as we're coming out of everything that's happened with the pandemic is to look at and say can we can we do something for a year or two how can we remove some of those how can we remove those licensing fees but cut those licensing fees what can we do so that's part of what the city can do we have a great kind of business development team that's part of the staff at the city and as much support as they can get they partner really well with the chamber but a lot of that is around um, you know you look at when we do which we haven't been able to do you know it's like events where you bring everybody down and you have a big wine and beer fest or or the public art surprisingly enough things like that contribute to people wanting to have businesses in Springfield and they're like oh look they're investing in all of these ways to get people moving around the city Um, the way that infrastructure you know if you have great lighting in a neighborhood businesses are going to want to be there if you 
can get into the parking lots, businesses are going to want to be there. So it's those ways that you can make it really inviting for small businesses and support them um, and highlight what they do. And I think that um, exactly what you're saying around businesses that are owned by people of color, businesses that are owned by women, businesses that are, you know, micro businesses, there's all these different ways that we can really encourage and support those and highlight those. And a, and a lot of it at the city decision level has to do with how much how much resources are we going to put into highlighting and supporting those businesses and creating ways to drive business downtown and how are we going to remove barriers or look at the tax fee or the licensing fees to just cut people a break as part of it too right also how do we it, it, it all weaves together right so if we're able to like put some energy into say developing in the Thurston area or building more housing in the Glenwood area then small businesses are going to want to come in they're going to thrive there so it all weaves together right yeah. so now one of the heavy issues big issues in Springfield as opposed to Eugene is uh the homelessness houselessness uh, in Eugene, it's a lot more prevalent as far as a visual, like optics, the optics of it, because it's, it's there. Now, one of the things that Springfield has done, and I want to hear your input on this, is that they've banned, banned panhandling and banned uh, camping in town. I don't know the exact way that that's written. Maybe you could kind of elaborate on it if you know more. Now, I do want to touch on this, though. I remember in, I don't know if this was citywide in Eugene, but they had talked about if it's illegal to ask for money outside of a car window. And I'm like, why don't you enforce the laws? If the person's getting money, that means they're standing in the street. <laughs> you know, right. so that's already an issue. I'm not against, I'm, I think there's a constitutional question about banning panhandling because I think it's a freedom of speech thing as much as it might not. I'm a firm believer in freedom of speech, even if it's sometimes difficult, you know, it's also in some places they've banned giving people money and that's absolutely disgusting. You can't do that to somebody mm -hmm. because then if it's my prerogative to help somebody, that's my prerogative. Now, what is your opinion on some of that? Like on the, on the camping ban and on the panhandling ban? We could, we could talk about this for a day. I'm sure. No, we could talk about this. So um, this is one of those things where like you like you you touched on that it can be s sort of nuanced and but I also think that we make it more complicated than it needs to be because we're focused those those laws are focused on the optics of it, right? They're right. focused on the symptoms and they're not necessarily we're, and so we're like if we just if we do that, then the problem's gonna go away. But what has happened in Springfield is we still have unhoused folks. They just have moved into the parks right. and they have moved out of sight. So it's, it's because it's kind of a Willamaline problem, partly because where folks are camping, they're not camping on the streets, but now they've, they're camping on the parks. So the city can be like, no longer a problem, but it really is. And when I talk to folks, most people have a lot of compassion. We just are just, there's these blockages for how do we actually address this, this how do we do it and so we put we put all these barriers because we're trying to control so in addition to having the um the, the no panhandling or the no loitering um because i've been corrected when i call it panhandling the no loitering um and we put our justice center downtown so that has also i mean no lies has contributed to how it feels downtown people feel safer because we have the jail right right there sure. next to the brew pub sure. um, and then we have also like pushed the camping out so um in doing that we've we've changed the optics we've changed it made it more friendly for businesses because like you and i were chatting about you know there, yeah I, I absolutely you know i know from when i worked at community alliance of lane county or calc in the whitaker neighborhood we had people who would sleep on the porch we had people who would sleep around there right down in the heart of the whitaker and as part of my job as the director was to be the the, the mean person because we were also part of a neighborhood so it's like 
yes, people need a place and yes, we have compassion for the homeless and yes, we're doing these things. And you're also part of a neighborhood where other people are feeling unsafe or having property damage or things like that. Sure. And, yeah. So all of those things are real and I, and we have to be able to talk about it without bringing all of the sort of judgment of like, um, some people are deserving and some people undeserving. So that sure. part of it is just like getting to where we can talk about this. And then, so my opinions, I'm not, I'm not, yes, we should let everybody be everywhere and camp everywhere. I am more like, we need to be able to solve and get people into housing. And we have created some, we don't really have any tiny houses or haven't encouraged any like square one villages in Springfield, which is should been showing to be a really great transitional for people getting them out of being chronically homelessness into these tiny homes with support and on and where they're building, you know, equity and ownership. So we haven't done that yet in Springfield. We have created some barriers in terms of where camping can be um, and who, who can be that that sort of ties into this idea that um, people with children or families are somehow more deserving than people who are single or have drug addiction or other issues. So we, we haven't really like said, look, we're just going to get people into housing. We're going to solve this. And when you see something like what just happened with the wildfires and how quickly people are willing to like pull together to get people into shelter, like we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> We could do this if we all just decided and we get the right people at the table and we're just like, you know what, we're going to stop with the judging and we're going to stop with saying these people have earned it, these people haven't, and just be like, let's get people into housing and then go from there. It's a difficult thing. And, and, and full disclosure, we had talked about this before I hit record. And I was, we, basically what you just said, I didn't, I, I don't really support a full on camping ban, but I also don't support people camping right in front of a business or making a neighborhood feel unsafe. Now <clears throat> you and I both know <clears throat> if you go on any of the Facebook groups, the Thurston neighborhood watch is a prevalent one. People are unsafe. If someone with a hoodie walks by their house, right. so those people need to educate themselves that there's other types of people and other types of experience. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it's a difficult thing because as a business, I don't own a business, but I'm an independent contractor in a barber shop. And so I'm, I have a very huge stake in it and there's been people camping in front of our place a lot. This is in Eugene, but still that I have had a difficult time dealing with it. Cause I've literally called the police. Cause one guy was kind of aggressive and I'm mm -hmm. like, look, I have to have people walking by where you're standing. You've got stuff cluttered around. And the cops were like, look, the city government has left it out of our control. So that's where I think Springfield has had kind of a heavier hand approach. It's difficult. I'm going to get a lot of flack. I know that there's no right answer to this, this question, you know, and so it's difficult. I think you addressed it well, though, because I think the answer is affordable housing. I think it's getting, you know, affordable housing and with, it's not all drug addicts, but for people with addiction, it's, it's dealing with that with compassion. It's, it's giving people a reason to want to change instead of wanting to hide and disappear into their addictions. And I know firsthand what addiction is like because I'm an alcoholic and I've been sober for almost five years. So, you know, I do know what that's like. And anyway, so that's, a, that's an interesting one. It's really difficult. Uh, no, this is such a crazy transition. But then, oh, I want to address one more thing that you had said, which I think is really good and difficult about. And this really kind of goes with addiction as well. When we talk about the, the wildfires and then people coming together and opening their doors to people, this is where it gets difficult because, and the same thing with the Yimbyism and housing, Yimby is yes in my backyard, NIMBYism is no in my backyard where people are like, I don't want tiny homes in my backyards, in my neighbor's backyard or whatever. So I don't want to create more opportunity for housing because there's, there's this idea that these people have already exhausted their the help that should they deserve or whatever. And sometimes it's true because there is people that burn so many bridges with their loved ones. These people that have lost their homes, that's by no fault of their own. It's not their own actions. And so it's a little different because in the homeless houselessness situation, sometimes it is by actions that people have gotten there. So it's really difficult because the families cannot just continuously open their doors and then maintain their own sanity it's a difficult thing. And, th and that I'm assuming at that point that it is people that have done it by fault of their own. There's people that they just, the rug is swept out from under them and they're, you know, it's a trickle, you know, it, it's a quick decline. 
we don't have a lot of time, so I've got to move on. Uh, so COVID, you know, COVID is, is a big thing. Springfield, uh, I want to talk about the education setup, you know, the in-person school or the remote online education. And as a parent, you know, you have five children. What is, what is your opinion on this? I mean, this is separate from city council here for a second. Yeah. Just Corey Rodley, you know, I mean, what is your opinion on it? So my opinion is probably influenced more by my work. And again, city council doesn't get to tell the school district what to do. Absolutely. The work that I do, working at United Way, and we're very, very heavily um, focused on, you know, improving outcomes and improving the lives of, of children, particularly in education. And um, so I've been privy and fortunate to be part of some meetings and some conversations with a lot of parents and to hear their concerns. And a lot of these are parents with, with young kiddos. So parents that are concerned about early childhood education and daycare and starting kindergarten. And I think that the, which maybe you will agree with me on this, that the, the whole challenges that we're having around education with the pandemic also are really exacerbating the inequities because if you have, if you can afford to hire a teacher or have a pod or have a tutor or have a nanny, then it's not as much of a concern for you as to whether, cause you're like, I got options. Sure. If, or even course, just a laptop, you know, some or people. Or even just a laptop. Like yeah. If you are someone <clears throat> who is, um, who is, you know, navigating poverty or you have kiddos that have um, learning disabilities and need a lot of extra, uh, extra support. If you are yourself working in a job that is, um, you know, you're, you're on the front lines or maybe you are someone who has compromised health and the idea of your kiddos going to school every day is going to just really compromise the health of the family. So there are all these layers of concerns and there are people who are like, we just need to get the kids back in school. And there are parents, and even the, the folks I know that I work with, my colleagues and coworkers who have small kids and who are like, my life would be so much easier if I could get my kids to school. They also are layering on their concerns about, but what is that going to look like? And what is that experience going to be like if kids are isolated in their desks? What is that going to be like for kiddos who are emerging English language students? Yeah in those kind of situations. So, and, and I get that the school districts are trying to make those decisions and they're based on all sorts of different things and now they're shifting in all these different ways. And it's complicated, but yeah. I think that if, um, from, so if I tend to, this is a comp, my complicated version of that answer is, I think that I start with where are, the, where are the barriers and where are the inequities and are we making it worse for some? And we are making it worse for some. <laughs> Sure. So it's one of those things where it's like, oh, do we just cast a wide net and try to get people back to school? Because I also acknowledge that, you know, a five and six year old sitting in front of a computer at home is not gonna, not gonna make it. In my world, if I was like in charge of the world, I'd be. Can everybody just take a gap year? Can we just do that? Right. Yeah. It doesn't work that way because people still have to work and people. Well, have parents to have to go to work. Yeah, it's yep. it's so difficult. <clears throat> you know, I know Mount Vernon was kind of this is what i was reading and i i haven't digested the story completely but from what i understand there was a positive test and so they kind of hit the brakes and they're like wait a minute we got to reevaluate everything i don't know what's expected you know i work on the university campus i know that the university is doing a lot to the people that are living on campus i got this as, as information i know that this is true 3,000 students will be living on campus and they're doing 400 people a day that are testing at Austin Stadium before they can move in. So that's actually a really difficult order and they're doing it, you know, and, and uh, to give the university some credit, because I'm very critical of the university. This is kind of off what we're talking about, but I think it's interesting. Everyone was complaining, not everyone. There's a lot of talking. People are like, what about the wildfires? Why don't they put people into the dorms? I'm like, do you not understand that they actually are going to move forward with some form of, of, schooling you know and and the university has their own issues and ah it's just so difficult right now because there's so many different things and everybody wants just a one-size-fits-all fix and that just doesn't work that way so and, and to realize that the people making the decisions are people right 
And so that's the thing I, I say, which, and no disparaging to anybody, but I say the world is run by C students. So it's like, if you remember that most of us are just like average folks who are just doing the best that they can, who are making decisions on the fly, and then you throw in, and this happens in government or wherever, you throw in different opinions, different value systems, different personalities, and you're trying to get these decisions and you're trying to move forward. And then we will get crabby because we're like, look at the university or look at what this, the county. And then you throw in the fact that it's a bureaucracy which moves slow. Totally, totally. And we're like, and there's, why can't this be better? Like, in some ways, it's good that things move slow, you know, yeah. because, because it, 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 yeah. So, well, Corey, this is really cool. There's one more thing that I want to talk about that's really okay. somber. Uh, and it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, the news broke yesterday that she had passed and I don't really want to get into the politics, even though it's frightening what's going to come. If the, I just keep saying they better not, they better not. And that's all I'm going to say about the politics is they better not. We have, we need to let the voters decide, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg was an icon, a legend for human rights, but for women particularly, I want to get your, your input on her. And maybe if you have any kind of insider story about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that would be great. So well, I never got to know her, but I will tell you that um, I do not think of myself as an activist. I think of myself with someone, as someone with a high capacity to push on structures. And a lot of that comes from the fact that I feel, I've always felt very inspired by um, Justice Ginsburg's very, um, she's always very real about the fact that she was about moving institutions and making changes slowly and solidly because that's how like lasting change happens. So we're feeling this panic of like without her there, but over the many years of her career, she like built these layers that it's gonna take a while to undo and so that is that that in itself in terms of like an a, a ethic or a, a way to do this work a way to do whether it's community change work or whether it's to do you know community building it's like if we just go for the quick win or if we go for the big rally we're not going to make the lasting change and when i'm doing like equity and inclusion work it's the very same thing it's like you have to like lay the foundation and you have to move it as opposed to just making those big gestures, because those big gestures mean nothing in terms of actually changing the lots. It's like you still, you, you, you have to do that work. And so that to me is what um, I was thinking about for the last 12 hours or so is like, yeah, that's how she really inspired me was to say, you know what? You get up every day, <laughs> you go to work and you just keep chipping away and you keep using your brains and that to do that. Now, just in terms of the ecosystem of who I am able to be, or, and I think I posted something like this on Facebook, it's like, I look around my world and I get to, you know, I get to work with so many strong, amazing, brilliant women who are in the workforce and who are working parents and who have done all of these fabulous things that are continuing to do it in their worlds because of the work that she did around yeah. pushing to make it so that there was more gender equity. So, and that in itself feels like a direct connection. And I'm like, okay, you did this so that all of us could be doing this, that I could be running for Springfield city council. Sure which was not a thing that would have happened 50 years ago in any kind of a way or that we would have so many people, you know, doing this. So um, that's the part that feels really personal to me. I'm like, oh, you did that. So it's my job to do everything that I can for the next round of people. So I try to focus on that because I get that we're, we're, we're like in this heightened fear, like everything that happens feels fearful, like we're losing as opposed to, you know, look at, look at what one little tiny lady. Yeah. <laughs> was able to do we can do this too sure you know one of the my favorite things that she said and i'm going to paraphrase but and it i think it's important that people understand what i think she meant at least so they asked her someone asked her at one point they said how many women would have to be on the court before you would think that it was good and she said all nine you yes. know and then and the point that she was trying to make in my opinion isn't that men shouldn't be on the court or that you know it was that what she said was there's been nine men on the court and nobody batted an eye or something to that effect. So I think it's really important to, to show 
you know, the equity of it. And also the, the, it doesn't matter who you are, or what you are, or what you look like, or what's between your legs that you're qualified, that you, if you're qualified, you're qualified, you know? And so it's really, it's, it was cool. She's, I have a little, there's like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg action figure and it's up on my shelf back there. It's pretty, pretty hilarious. I mean, you know, my mom worked for senior disabled services. She's been gone since 2012 and it's why it's so easy for me to talk to people like you because my mom, little personal side note here was a woman that was a lesbian was a divorcee, obviously, uh, because she married because she was Catholic, was raised, was raised kind of her dad was leaving the Catholic church. So there's a lot of issues there and it was the time it was. And so she raised us fighting for women's rights. She raised us having to pick her battles. And you were talking about the slow and steady. My mom died before marriage equality was passed, but she didn't even care about it that much because she's like, I'm tired. I care about it more than she did because she was like, I just don't even care it personally. I mean, of course she cared about the future generations, but her personally, she's like, I'm just, I just want to be recognized for the work that I've done, you know? And it was like, it was like, what? Like, and I didn't think that was enough, but I get it now that it was like, she had put so much effort forward forward that she's like, I'm just, all I'm focused on is going to work, doing my job and not being judged for the being for the gender that I am. And so I don't know. So people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, people like yourself, remind me of my mom and in an inspiring way. And I'll never take that lightly, you know, that for the work that, that people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg did, you know, for women and for human rights. So I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Uh, when we got on here, I said, you're not going to make me cry, are you? Yeah. No, yeah. and you did. Uh, people always complain because I've on my podcast, I'm not a journalist. I'm, these are conversations, so I'll get a lot of facts wrong, and people can, can criticize that. And I also get complaints sometimes. People say, oh, he talks about himself a lot. And it's like, what are you talking about? This is a conversation. I'm trying to create an audience that they trust me and respect me. And, I'm, again, I know that I make mistakes, you know, but on some of my statistics and things. But that's what we're trying to do is educate each other and learn from each other. Right. And I think the – wrapping all of what you said and talking about your mother, it's like to realize, I think this is why people are finally starting to get more involved in local politics because they're realizing that that affects their life so immediately. And it was through, like, I honestly, honestly never thought that we would have marriage equality. And now we're like four or five years. I mean, I just didn't think that, that the world was going to shift. And I was part of speakers bureaus and I was doing, and I thought, well, I don't know that I'm even making a difference, you know, going out and talking and trying and organizing and raising money and doing this stuff and thinking, well, you know, this is going to be the next generation. This is going to be for the next folks. And the fact that just all those people just do go into work every day, like your mom, you know, it starts to, it, it's, that's what makes the difference happen. So the one thing I worry about, and you, I know you talked about, there's a lot of layers to the onion to peel back and whatnot, and that she's Ruth Bader Ginsburg did a lot. The one thing I worry about, and we need to keep our eyes peeled to the, to what this process of replacing her because marriage equality is not a safe thing. It's not something that's permanent. It's not something that is a guarantee is what I should say. And a woman's right to choose is not, is very delicate. I mean, that is, uh, has been delicate forever. And so we're going to see some really troubling things because we're not seeing any type of compromise, any type of empathy towards people that are different from a certain side. Everyone knows what I mean. So all I can say is, is in this coming next, these next few months, it's our duty to look at different pe people with different views and think about how we would treat them, how we would treat them or how, how we would want to be treated, you know, because the way that we treat each other in the next coming months will not be forgotten. There's going to be people that drop their family names. <laughs> There's going to be people that they're over these next decisions because, you know, like my niece, her partner is trans. And so when people are voting, you're actually supporting candidates that work towards the oppression of those individuals. That's an yeah. issue. You know, so it's going to be some heavy stuff, but that's a different time where we can talk about all that stuff. Corey Rodley, I really, I really appreciate you doing this. It's cool to get to know you a little better. I always end my show with a song and we just were talking about moms. You're a mother of five. Uh, I picked a song that we wrote me and my crew back in the day, uh, Clowns of Class. It's a goofy little song called Turn the Lights On, dedicated to our mothers. So I thought I would end it with that. So. Aww. 
Corey Rodley, this is really great. CoreyRodley.com. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you all for listening. Always, please go check out OregonCashFlowPro.com. And on YouTube, go to YouTube and follow Oregon Cash Flow Pro. That's my title sponsor. James Barber is a huge part of how this is happening. So thanks to James Barber for everything he does. Again, Corey Rodley, thanks a lot. This is Clowns of Class with Turn the Lights On. On your face to see the mark of abuse. Oh, how it feels to be snowy. Disrupted your heart, my favorite part. Thanks for having.